The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow. If you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. My name is Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education. You can read more at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. And you can follow a live tweeting of the show at hashtag Big Beacon Radio. So, um, Universities and colleges are filled with some interesting characters, people, stat, students, faculty, staff, and administrators, and sometimes they can be difficult to communicate with. Fortunately, we're, we're joined today by uh, a, a leading authority on, on communication and getting through to uh, people who are somewhat irrational. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mark Goulston. Glad to be on with you, Dave. Well, and thanks, and I've been a fan of your your stuff. I've, I'm a real big fan of uh, Just Listen and and use it in some of uh, my consulting and and uh, coaching work. And I think I think your work has a lot to say for well, it has a lot to say for the workforce in general, but for um, for uh, higher education in particular. Well, you know, I I wrote it because as I looked out at the world, it seemed that people were talking at and over each other and, and not too many people were listening to each other. Yeah, you know, sometimes uh you think if you could just change one thing about the system and if what you know, if you could only do one thing, what would you ch- change? And sometimes I think that thing is listening. If we could just listen to each other, a lot of the misalignments between people uh within people would would uh would go away. No, you're absolutely right. And uh you know, it, I think, you know, they use the word in business, disruptive innovation. You know, what is something that can disrupt something that uh, needs a better solution? And I think what I've discovered is listening is disruptive to communication because so many people are not doing it. But recently I, I've tried to drill down about why people don't listen. I mean, mm-hmm. every if it, it, when I give talks on listening, and I gave a talk at Harvard Business School two weeks ago, and I had these two opening questions. If you asked someone who cares about you and your success and your happiness, what would be the effect on it if you became a better listener? A small, moderate, large. You know, and most of them said, well, moderate or large, this person would probably say that. And here's the hooker of the second question. If you were to ask that same person what has been the negative effect 
on your success, happiness, and their relationship with you when you've been your worst as a listener. Mm. Little, moderate, or large, and they all raise their hand, large. And so, and I was thinking, so if everybody understands or knows how important listening is, why is it that people don't do it? And, and the conclusion I've come to is that when you really listen, in order to listen to another person's point of view and listen to it clearly, you have to give up your own point of view. Yes. In, in fact, one of my favorite quotes uh, from Just Listen comes from a psychoanalyst named Wilfred Bion, and he said, the purest form of listening is to listen without memory or desire. And what he meant by that is when we listen to someone with memory, we have an old personal agenda that we're trying to plug them into. And when we listen to them with desire, we have a current or future personal agenda that we're trying to plug them into. But we're not listening to them. And what I, what I realized is I think people are feeling kind of rigid in their personalities, meaning it's very difficult to adapt, even though we know we all need to. And I think one of the reasons people don't listen is because if you listen deeply and give up your own point of view uh, and you feel kind of rigid, you can feel incredibly anxious and lost. And so I think people are often too wedded to their own uh, point of view. It helps orient them. It gives them their identity. And so yes. they don't really listen uh, uh, and and they have what I call a failure to consider, meaning to actually consider another person's point of view means to put your own point of view aside and truly consider what the other person is saying from their point of view or on its own merits. Yep. And I don't think people do that. And people aren't bad. I think people are kind of overwhelmed and they're holding on to their point of view because that's their identity and that's, that's yeah well it's who it's who they, they are. are right it's and and uh, so it's not it's not surprising i i can't say that i was the greatest listener i until I, I took training as a coach and and was trained specifically to listen in the kind of way that you just said without without a point of view with listening not from ego and what i want um or what i have to say about what the person said but listening to the other person to really understand and empathize with them and and it's hard and i think it's also we don't really know how cuz there's so little of it in the world but i i be, i i, I want to before i want to dive into this some more this is so fascinating but you know mark you're you've had an incredible career and and uh You've you've worked as a medical doctor, taken training as a psychiatrist. You've been a UCLA prof. You've you've, tr you've been a trainer of hostage negotiators. All kinds of cool stuff. And but how you know? So how you know? What was it back in in the day that sort of got you to be sort of a top authority on listening and communication like this? Well, um, there are a number of things, but there when I was in just after training, there was a very uh, bad day I had. I was called uh, at UCLA. I was called uh, up to see a uh, a uh, a uh, cancer patient who was on a respirator, and I'll call him Mr. Harding. That's not his name, but I was they uh, I was Paige, and they said 
This guy's pulling his IVs, he's pulling his respirator, he's pulling at everything. We've put him in uh, soft restraints, meaning we've tied down his, uh, his ankles and his wrists, and we're going to give him a sedative because he's just, you know, he, he's just out of his mind. Can you come up and okay the order? And so I went up there, and he couldn't speak, of course, because he had this respirator, you know, in his throat. Uh, his eyes were like saucer-shaped, and I think he was screaming out to me. And I said, what is it? And I kept looking into his eyes, and, uh, and I gave him a pen to write on something, you know, with his strapped-down hands, because he was just writhing. And, uh, and he scribbled something, but it, it was illegible. And then I said, what is it? What is it? And he was just going, ah, 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 ah. And so uh, I... I was listening from the point of view of the uh, of the doctors who said he's just psychotic. Mm-hmm. He's out of his mind, you know, just write the order. And so I told them I said, you know, we needed to put you on restraints because you're pulling at your IVs, you're pulling at your respirator, you're pulling at everything and we're going to give you a tranquilizer and it'll help you rest and as soon as you calm down we'll be able to take you know everything off. And he's just going, oh, oh, oh. And, I, and I'm thinking, what is it? And then uh, I did that, and he rested, and I was paged uh, the next day, and the doctor said, uh, Mr. Harding uh, asked us to page you specifically. <laughs> and, uh, and he's seated up in his bed, and he's off the respirator, and he's calm. And so I went into the room, and he just looked into my eyes again. His eyes were in saucer shape, but they were really intent. And he said, have a chair. And he, he sat me with his eyes. I mean, he just looked under my eyes, and he kept looking into my eyes, and he said, what I was trying to tell you is a piece of the respirator had broken off and was stuck in my throat. And you do know that before I go through that again, I will kill myself. Do you understand me? And it just, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And uh, actually... As I go out and speak about learning how to listen, and, and, and in a milder way, Dave, I wonder if this coincides with your learning your need to be a better listener in coaching. Mm. I, I think when we have an experience in life, and Mr. Harding's was an example, where as right as we thought we were yes. is as wrong as we turned out to be. Uh, it's something that can so shake us. Uh, it can shake us to our core because it's, gee, if I, if I could be wrong about that thing that I was certain about, I bet I'm wrong about all kinds of things. Yeah. And I think if you can deal with the shame, the guilt, and the anxiety, I think that's your greatest opportunity to look at the world through different eyes and listen to it through different ears. Yeah. I tell a story in The Whole New Engineer about um, a coaching client, and I knew what he should do. And uh, we were in Groundhog Day. It, it, we kept, you know, one session, two sessions, nine sessions. And on the last session of this was pro bono work and in coach training. And, um, and uh, I had an experience where I um, showed up in, in love not knowing what he should do, what what others should do in a practice session at, at Georgetown and came back to him with in that way 
and he had a breakthrough because I stopped not I stopped knowing what he should do. And and I won't say it was earth shattering or his life was changed, but the the thing that we had been working on that had eluded us for for ten weeks, he accomplished almost immediately when I stopped knowing what he should do. Yeah, there's someone I know. I'm blocking on his name, and he was. Uh, on a panel, it was him and the Dalai Lama, and he was sharing with me. He was, uh, and this was a profound moment. He yeah. said that this, he asked them this incredibly complex question that really required the Dalai Lama's uh, input. And so he uh, he articulated this question that could really help all kinds of people. And he said, without one, w- without losing any of his calm serenity, the Dalai Lama said, I honestly don't know. Yeah. yeah. And it just changed everything. Yeah. And so, so, that, so that was, that was one experience, but you know, you, you know, that was sort of a negative experience that shook you out of, of, um, well, here's a positive experience. Oh, it was a, it was a kind of a negative thing that drove you in a positive direction, and but, um, but you've you know you're kind of you're out there, okay? So you're you're not the everyday psychiatrist, you know, sitting and you see patients, but you're out there doing all kinds of stuff. And and this show we we talk about uh, the transformation of education to unleash young people. We live in an age that values creativity and and courage and doing things. Um, a, a different balance between obedience and and um, exploration than in times past, and so we we value unleashing experiences. What what unleashed you to the life you're living now? Well, I think the uh, uh, after having that negative uh, uh, catalyst, yeah, I think the thing that really turned me around is I, I was a suicide specialist. My, I, I've been full, blessed to have. Six mentors, all of them have passed away, and the most recent one was a fellow named Warren Bennis, who was a big leadership fellow, and he died in uh, 2014, and I think about him every day. And one of my earliest mentors was a pioneer in the study and intervention of suicide and death and dying. His name was Dr. Ed Schneidman, and he co-founded the Suicide Prevention Centers in Washington and L.A., and I met him when he was at UCLA. And so... uh, in fact, early in my practice, what would happen is he would do consultations up in the inpatient units, and there would be some individuals who were still a, still suicidal, but they needed to be discharged, meaning they weren't acutely suicidal, but you can't keep someone there forever. Right. And some of these individuals, the residents didn't want to see because they, you know, I guess they weren't, they were, they were nervous about these people because they felt, I still think they're suicidal, but they had to be discharged. So Dr. Schneidman would go up and see them, and he would call me, and it was always the same call. And he would say, uh, Mark, this is Ed. I'm with this lovely young woman. I'm with this handsome young man. They're in a lot of pain, Mark. You could help them. See them. Always the same call. I would see them. And there was one woman that I will call Nancy, who had made several suicide attempts and several hospitalizations before I started seeing her. And so I agreed to see her, and I was seeing her for several months. And you talk about Groundhog Day. Uh, I was seeing her probably two or three times a week. She wasn't catatonic, but she, wasn't, uh, but she didn't make eye contact, and she rarely spoke. And 
I didn't think I was helping her, except that was the longest she'd gone without a suicide attempt or hospitalization. And I think I was about six months into it, and uh, I would occasionally moonlight at a state hospital on the weekend. That would mean I would cover for the psychiatrist there. And so sometimes you're up 36 hours, and you get a little bit wigged out when you're up that long. Sure. And so on a Monday, I show up, and there's Nancy, and she's kind of looking, you know, 30 degrees to the left of me, just sort of staring. And as I, I was with her, suddenly all the color in the room turned to black and white. And then the black and white just started to be this chilly coldness to it. And I thought I was having a stroke or a seizure. And since I'm a medical doctor, I did a neurologic exam on myself. And I was you know, tapping my knees and I was looking at my finger and I realized I'm not having a stroke or a seizure, but I think I am looking at the world feeling the way Nancy feels. Mm. And, uh, you know, and I, I was young, innovative, and, you know, and uh, uh, I, I was able to try new things because here they were freshly out of the hospital and they were still suicidal, so that allowed me to try things. And so I just leaned into it. And I leaned into it and it got colder and chillier and Years later, some uh, a, a, a pastor friend of mine uh, from St. John the Divine in uh, Manhattan, he said, you went into the dark night of the soul. And so I leaned into it, and because I was sleep-deprived, I blurted this out to her. I said, Nancy, uh, I didn't know it was so bad, and I can't help you kill yourself. But if you do, I will still think well of you. I will miss you, and maybe I'll understand why you had to. And I thought, did I think that, or did I say that? And I said to myself, I think I just said it. I think I just gave her permission. And she looked at me. It's like the first time she made eye contact, and I thought she was going to say, thank you for understanding. I'm overdue for my next attempt. And I said, what are you thinking and she looked at me, and there was a slight smile, and she said, if you can really understand why I might have to kill myself to get out of this pain, maybe I won't need to. Mm. And I think what happened is it taught me the power of listening into people from their inside out. And can I, can I segue to something having to do with education? Um, why don't, yeah, so... Um I wonder if we can hold that till after the brass. A beautiful, very moving story, and 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 I think it does segue into into education in an important way. Can you can you hold that thought, and we can pick up after after Absolutely. the break? Absolutely. All right. Uh, thanks. We're we're having a, just a delightful conversation with Mark Goulston about uh, about listening and and uh, talking to crazy, and we're we're gonna connect that that story to uh, to a higher education after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. 
David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call one 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. And uh, we urge you to get a copy of the book that is Transforming Higher Education A Whole New Engineer The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education www.wholenewengineer.org and uh, available in hardcover and ebook forms. So before the break, we were talking with our guest, uh, Dr. Mark Goulston, about about listening and and this experience that you had, Mark, where you 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 leaned into a, a person who was suicidal and um, and she didn't. If you could understand where she was coming from, she didn't need to. Um, she didn't need to to commit suicide. That's very powerful stuff. And you, and you were saying there's a nice connection to education. What's how do we connect the dots? Uh, you just triggered something, um, uh, and, sure. I'll, and I'll hopefully connect the dot, or you'll kick me to the curb and get me back uh, on track. Uh, when I talk about suicide around the country, um, uh, and I wrote a blog uh, about Robin Williams, and I said he did not die from depression. I said he, because there's hundreds of, well, there's millions of people who are depressed who don't kill themselves. I said he died from despair. And if you break the word despair into D-E-S-P-A-I-R, it means feeling unpaired. Yes. And so suicidal people feel unpaired with hope, hopeless, with any help, helpless, worth, worthless useless, pointless, meaningless. Uh, and, uh, and so they, when they all line up, they pair with death as a way to take away the pain. And if you can pair with them, uh, uh, often suffering, and to me, suffering is feeling alone in pain, and that's tough to live with. But if you can pair with someone as I did with Nancy, suffering that you can't live with becomes pain that you can. And I think why this connects with higher education is we're, we're reaching out to young minds who are, as we said on the break, they're very connected uh, to each other, but they, they, but they don't relate to anything. Yes. There's a kind of agitation and, uh, and, and, 
uh, I had a wonderful dinner with uh, Warren Bennis and Norman Lear, you know, the television sure. icon some years yeah. ago. And I said, what is the greatest danger for the world? <clears throat> and they both said the same thing. They said, expediency. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And they said, we're in a world in which people, the, the new God they follow is more sooner. And more sooner doesn't even make people uh, wiser or happier. They just know that less later is, will make them miserable. And so I think what we see in higher education is if they're coming from, I want more sooner and I want it now, education needs to be paired with that, or else what they'll do is they'll tune out. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of mixed feelings about uh, we got to gamify education. we got to make it engaging. We have to make it more fun. And, uh, 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 and, and again, some years ago, I had a, uh, another wonderful meal with Warren Bennis, again, my mentor, and a guy named Peter Wybrow, who is a Brit who's the head of psychiatry at UCLA, and he wrote a book called American Mania, When More is Not Enough. And what he was talking about is he was, he was saying, you know, America prescribes more stimulants like Ritalin and Adderall than the rest of the world combined. And he said, sometimes I think parents and teachers should just say to their kids, you know, just sit down and do your homework. But no, we have to somehow make it, you know, uh, stimulating and uh, entertaining or else they'll tune out. And I don't have an answer to this, but but, sure. uh, but I I think the disservice we do to students by trying to find education that's entertaining is that when you go out and you get a job, um, they're not there to entertain you. Uh, there you're there to commit to work. Sure. And if you and and if suddenly your boss and your company requires you to be all in and all focused uh, when what you've grown up is, well, I'll only listen and learn if it's entertaining. I think it's a, it, 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 there's a great whipsaw effect. Uh, yeah, and you know, I think there is. You know, I think we we face a we face a crossroads in education, so that we can go the edutainment route, and it can and and you know, technology can be neutral in this. It can go in the one direction or it can go in another. But but what's the um, um, but we're, we seem to always frame it as a debate about pedagogy, content, curriculum. But it's really a it's really a debate about culture and emotion. And I think that the things that you talk about in your books are, are part of the emotional foundations of a new education. And in some ways, it's kind of back to the future. It's, it's a kind of education that we had in times past where someone trusted and challenged you to kind of do your best and figure things out um, in a, in, as, a, as opposed to it uh, being gamified or uh, mookified or whatever or whatever-fied. I think that I, I think that uh, the the kinds of but but we don't frame it. We don't frame the educational reform or transformation needed in 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 that way. And I, I think that 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 it's a uh, it, it's a problem. And and actually, I was just thinking about the the story you told and and the follow-on and and I, the phrase and, and 
it, it's in Just Listen, and I, I read it again in Talking to Crazy. That I love your phrase of feeling felt, um, and and the notion of a, a mirror neuron deficit disorder. Can you can you kind of help our help our listeners with those ideas? You've already explained the feeling felt part. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Um... Uh, in the late 1980s, researchers, uh, I think in Italy, but I could be wrong, uh, discovered something in macaque monkeys uh, yep. that they called monkey see, monkey do neurons. And these were uh, neurons that seemed to be responsible for imitation. So monkeys will imitate, not only monkeys, they'll imitate other primates. You stick your tongue out at a monkey, it'll stick its tongue out back at you. And so, uh, the, and then they were called mirror neurons, and they've been discovered in human beings, and they're thought to be associated with, they may even cause or facilitate imitation, learning, and empathy. And when they're something uh, defective, they're thought to be uh, uh, involved with autism. So autistic individuals are not able to mirror other individuals, and so they can't pick up on social cues. And so, as a uh, as a, I'm an empirical neuroscientist, meaning I'm I'm not I don't do scholarly research. I'm just sort of an interventionist. You throw me into a situation, and uh, on a good day, I'll be able to sort of do something uh, helpful to it. And so, my observation is that uh, most people feel that they're they're conforming to the forces around them. They're being pushed in all kinds of directions. And what that says to me is uh, that they feel at some level they've mirrored the world around them. And this creates what I call a mirror neuron receptor deficit, but in the newer version of just, listen, I, I made it less cumbersome, but we call it a mirror neuron gap. And what that means is that when you're mirroring or caring or uh, conforming to other people's emotions and psychological needs, it creates an ache inside you to have someone do it for you. And you're not, it, that doesn't mean scorekeeping. It just means that when you've twisted yourself inside out to conform to those pressures, you're hungry to have the world do it for you. That's why when someone in an unsolicited way is kind to you, uh, you start to cry. And, and you start to cry with the relief because when someone is kind to you, they uh, uh, the mirror neuron gap lessons. In fact, in Just Listen, there is an anecdote that I often use with business audiences where I was trying to get a meeting uh, with a CEO who was very busy, and I finally got to meet with him, and he was really preoccupied. And I can be somewhat bold when I notice things. And I looked at him, and he, he looked like a big former football player, a big husky guy with all kinds of trophies. And I said, hey, how much time you got for me? And he looked up at me with a look that said, I think your time's about up, buddy. And he said, what? I said, look on your schedule. How much time you got for me? And he fusses around. He said, 20 minutes. And I knew he was going to throw me out in 30 seconds. So this is an example of mirror neurons and feeling felt. And I said, look, we're into minute three of the 20 minutes. And there's something on your mind that's much more important than speaking to me. It's probably much more important than speaking to anyone. And here's the deal. Let's stop now. You take the remaining 16 minutes. Take care of that. And we'll reschedule this. So you can tell your assistant to never let me back into your office again. But take the next 16 minutes and 
and deal with whatever's on your mind. It's just not fair to anyone, including yourself. And he looked at me, and he teared up. That's where I get back to. He teared up. He felt felt. And he looked at me, and he said, you know, uh, you've known me for three minutes, and I'm private, and you know something uh, that people 30 yards from us don't know because I'm private about things. My wife's having a biopsy, and it doesn't look good. And my wife's stronger than me, and she said, you go to work, but I'm not really here. And I... And then I immediately switched to a more compassionate part of my personality and said, well, look, go be with her. You know, don't do this. This is less important. And he just kind of shook his shoulders like a big Newfoundland dog coming in from the rain. He went, Poof, and he got centered. And he got calm. And he looked at me, and he said, I'm not as strong as my wife, but I'm pretty strong. And you've got my undivided attention, uh, and you've got your full 20 minutes. Plus, we have a relationship since then. So I think there's something to be said when you can listen into people. And and interestingly, that was a segue between just listen and talking to crazy, because there's a lot of attention in just listen to a couple chapters. And one was called Steer Clear of Toxic People. And the other one was how to go from OF to OK, which is a way to calm yourself down yeah. with really difficult people. So I got so much interest in Just Listen on dealing with irrational people that I wrote a whole book on it called Talking to Crazy. And this is not about mentally ill people, because I have great compassion for mentally ill people. Uh, I've treated them for many years. Uh, when I... The people I mean in talking to crazy, these are people, uh, mentally ill people, really can't help themselves until their mental illness is treated. Talking to crazy refers to the people who drive us crazy because they could help themselves but choose not to. And nearly all of us have someone like that. In fact, when people hear the title, Talking to Crazy, I would say close to 80% of people smile. And I said, what are you smiling about? <laughs> they, and you see, you just laughed. And they say, yeah. I don't know. I, I, think I, do, I think I do that every day. Hey, do you get a chapter if, if the crazy person is yourself? Oh, yeah, we got a big section on that. So that's why we segued into that. Well, and, and that's not, and you can see the continuation of the work, but sort of uh, raising the the stakes. It's it seems like there's a nice connection between your work and in hostage negotiation. And, and well, well, there is because just listen really teaches you how to listen into people. Hmm. You know, so that they feel felt. Um, talking to crazy. There's a similarity, but I take it a step further in which in, you don't just listen into people. You lean into their irrationality. Because often what happens is when people are irrational, it triggers anger in you, defensiveness, retaliation. And if you can realize that the irrational person who's acting that way um, uh, is that there's usually something going on underneath it. Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, the tip that I give, the main tip that I give people in the t- from Talking to Crazy book is identify those people in your life that you deal with who uh, nearly always uh, uh, push the envelope. And so never expect them not to. And when you're in a conversation with them, 
hold a little bit of yourself back, and then when they do that outrageous, say that outrageous thing, instead of reacting, and there's some other neurology I talked about, and just listen, called an amygdala hijack. That's when, when someone pushes into you, and they provoke the emotional part of your brain, it tends to pull you away from your being able to think. And so know that they're going to do that so you're not blindsided. And then when they do that, pause for two to four seconds and keep looking them in the eye. And when you're looking them in the eye, imagine you're looking into the eye of a hurricane. So even if they're venting at you, don't look away, don't look to the side, because that'll show them that they've got you. Just keep looking them in the eye. When they finish uh, venting or whatever they're doing, pause for two to four seconds, and you'll see them get uncomfortable because it didn't work. They're provoking you, didn't work. Yeah. And then at that point, you can you can just, uh, there's a number of things you can say, but keep looking them in the eye and say, hey, um, what's really going on? And then they may vent some more. You can say, yeah, I understand that you're upset. I understand that you're frustrated, but what, what's really going on? And one of my favorite examples, which is in the book, a friend of mine is a guy named General Marty Steele, and he was the uh, COO of the Marines in the 1990s. And uh, together uh, we worked on a transition program for returning Marines, and it was, I think, a couple-week kind of immersion program before they were discharged. And what the Marines loved most was the hour and a half they got one-on-one with uh, General Marty Steele, and I, and I asked uh, General Steele, I said, what did you talk to these guys about? And, he, and he's a, uh, uh, I think he's an ISTJ. I'm not, I can't remember the Myers-Briggs exactly, but he says, I'm a very rare Myers-Briggs. I, I'm an intuitive such and such. And he said, it would always be the same conversation. I'd say, Marine, what's going on? And they would share something. Well, you know, it's not that easy adjusting from the front to back here, and then they'd finish. He'd say, what's really going on, Marie? And they'd say it again, you know, something else. Well, I'm not getting along with my family. And he said, when you, when you know that something's going on underneath them, because if you're a Marine, you know uh, it's not been easy. He said, a number of them would look me in the eye because I wouldn't take my eye off them. And they would say, uh, uh, General Steele, um, I've seen and done awful things, and when I close my eyes, I see them more clearly, so I don't close my eyes much, sir. And then he paused, and he said, you know, war is necessary, but it's not pretty, and if you're a Marine, we've all seen and done things that are awful, and I am giving you a direct order to put that aside and focus on your families. Uh, we all went through this, and you need to put that aside because you've earned the right to a life. And he got all kinds of letters from spouses saying, you don't know, but you saved my husband's life that day. Mm-hmm. But that's a great example of leaning into what's coming at you. And talking to crazy is all about different ways to lean into people so that they uh, uh, they get their crazy-making behavior sort of, you know, out in the air where it can harm nobody, including you or them, and then you get them to open up. It's like draining an abscess. Yeah. Uh, you've, got some, you've got some really good uh, distinctions that you make on, on, on what generates the crazy and the, the MOs of different types of crazy, and I think we want to 
we want to explore that, especially in the uh, in the context of of higher education in our in our last segment. So this is uh, Big Beacon Radio with uh, special guest Dr. Mark Goulston, and we're gonna we're gonna continue this fascinating conversation and and apply these ideas in higher education in our last segment. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. 5790 or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio and get the coaching and deep de- faculty development you need to help transform higher education at 3joy.com. So, last, and we're still talking with uh, Dr. Mark Goulston about uh, Just Listen and his new book, uh, Talking to Crazy. And we were just starting to talk about uh, talking to crazy. And, and so, hi, higher ed's kind of a special culture. You were a prof, and um, you've seen the best and worst of universities and the politics and so far, so, uh, so forth. Uh, what, are, what are some of the key ways that you can think of your work applying in a higher education context? Well, in talking to crazy, there's a diagram called the sanity cycle. And uh, it's actually a way of helping you uh, follow a process where instead of being provoked by these people, you can, you can really become unflappable. Um, what I'm also realizing about talking to crazy, where it really has a lot of application, is if, if you learn the lessons from talking to crazy, it, it lessens stress and burnout. And burnout's a huge problem, at least uh, maybe not in, in uh, college education, but, you know, in middle school and high school, the teachers are burned out. And one of the things that burns people out more, it's not the content, it's people. It's the, uh, uh, the, ir- the irrational parents. Uh, irrational students, irrational faculty, um, and the uh, and generally what happens is when we're dealing with irrational people, we tend to get reactive, but we're kind of trapped. You know, unless we're comfortable becoming as irrational and crazy making as they are, 
they will escalate and we'll keep a lid on our desire to either run away or to uh, counterattack. And, and actually what happens is the running away turns into just avoiding these people. But if you know you owe them a response, the avoiding just adds to the stress. So, so what I've discovered in life is there's a saying, um, I forget, uh, from the Bible that says, where there's a will, there's a way. I think it's backwards. I think where there is a way that is doable by you, by just, you know, uh, Jane and Joe average, uh, when you, there's a way and steps that you can follow, you, you will discover the will to confront these situations, and you'll become less stressed and less burned out because you won't, you'll have a sense of mastery. So getting back to the sanity cycle, I'll just go over it very quickly, but there's six steps to it. The first thing is, first of all, notice that the other person's acting crazy. So instead of reacting to it, just be able to say, say to yourself, oh, they're acting crazy again. And then you mentioned something called their MOs, and uh, there's a chart that's a real eye-opener in the book called The Nine Most Common Modus Operandi of Irrational People. And what it does is it describes people who tend to get uh, emotional, manipulative, uh, uh, act like martyrs, act like know-it-alls, bullies. And what it talks about is... Uh, it's a great chart, and I'll be happy to send a PDF to you that you can share with listeners. Uh, it, it shows you their behavior, and then it lists your reaction. And when people see, uh, identify their reaction, they realize, oh, yeah, that's why I'm getting so stressed up. So one of the reasons to identify their MO is you'll have more control because you'll say, oh, that's just what happens when they want to get their way. That's just what happens when someone's telling them to do something that they don't want to do. So just realizing that they have a pattern will give you more of a sense of control. And so once you notice that, you want to deal with your own crazy. So that means that uh, after you get a little sense of seeing what they're about, recognize and learn inside yourself, what are your buttons? What What are the things that you're oversensitive to? And you deal with those. And then the next step is go to the other person's crazy. And so that's where you start to lean into uh, their uh, craziness. And there's uh, one uh, tip that a lot of people use, and and, uh, we call it the FUDO approach, F-U-D-O. And what that stands for is frustrated, upset, disappointed outcome. And so when someone's acting up in a certain way, Again, let them vent, pause, and say to them, you seem frustrated. What's that about? And you want to use the word frustrated instead of angry, because if you say you seem angry, it seems like you're shaming them. But everybody will admit the frustration. And then when they share what they're frustrated about, you use something called a conversation deepener, which uh, comes up in both my books, and that's when they use something, words like horrible or awful uh, not fair, a conversation deepener would be uh, when they finish saying that, you'd say, say more about the horrible. Yeah. 
And, and when you do that, instead of getting defensive, they're getting more and more off their chest, which is going to calm them down. And you're not upset because you actually have control over the conversation. You know where it's going. And then after they get that off their chest, say, you know, you also seem upset. What's the upset? What are you upset about? And use upset because what you really want to do is get their anger off and out of harm's way. And after they tell you what they're frustrated about, they'll tell you what they're upset about. And you use the same conversation deepeners. And then after that, there's something powerful about the word disappointment. That's why it's very powerful to say to your child, and it's very painful to say, no, I love you, but I'm disappointed in you. And so if you then say to them, what do you disappoint? You seem also disappointed. Mm. What are you disappointed about? Could be the school, could be me, could be you. What's that about? And you'll often see sort of a switch inside them where they calm down. And then after that, you could say, you know, given that all this has happened, you know, what's the best outcome now? It's kind of now what? What's the best outcome? Given all this has happened, and, uh, um, and, and let's figure out if it's realistic. If it's realistic, let me see if we can work together to make it happen. So that Fudo approach is a way of going into the uh, other person's crazy. Uh, next, you want to show them that you're not a threat. And I think when you go through that, that Fudo approach, not only aren't you a threat, you're a help. And then uh, when you move, and then the final thing is you want to move them to a saner place, to a more rational place. And if you go through, uh, and there's many other ways to do it, but people seem to really like that Fudo uh, process. And uh, also they can say, say it in their mind when someone's upsetting you, go, time for Fudo. <laughs> and uh, it allows sure. you to get, you know, yeah. like a mini swear word off in your head before you intervene with the person. Now that's and and that's great stuff and 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 it ties back to the you know the, the you know so you're all the time you're listening all the time you're from a coaching perspective you're using open-ended questions you're not projecting what you think on them and you're just just listening and you're there not knowing why they're doing what they're doing and so and you're also you're creating space for them and um, they're probably starting to feel a little bit felt at this point. Oh, absolutely. And uh, uh, something I, since this is a higher education uh, program, there's something I've been trying to push through, but you know, I'm an outlier, but maybe you can run with it. Uh, and, and it focuses on the word outcome, because a lot, of, a lot of students will just push something away and say, what do I need it for? I'm never going to use this. And many students are much more, uh, you know, ambitious than they are curious. And mm. something that I think would be a great thing to help make education relevant is, is to bring up that, to students that what, is it true that what you want from your, out, uh, from your education is a great job or to make a lot of money? And most students will say yes. And so I think in communities, if you brought in the top uh, CEOs of local companies and you did town hall meetings, and what they and, and, and if what they could say is, um, uh, if you're if you're if you have these skills and abilities, uh, we and if you can get these things done in our company, we will hire you and start you at X at fifty grand, whatever it is, 
And by the way, we think the best place to learn these things is through higher education and then training that we offer. But I think if you brought people in who said, we're here to support uh, you making the kind of money you want and getting the kind of job you want, and we're here to tell you what we'll hire and what we won't hire. And I think if they were, they were just able to say that and say, look, if you can, it, there are some people who drop out of college, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill sure. Gates, and, and uh, those are the rare, rare people, so don't compare yourself to them. But there are those exceptional people who, uh, who, who uh, are able to develop the skills they need to be successful. But for the majority of people, you know, we think your best chance is through higher education. But I think if there were town hall meetings of these people you know, who said, we'll hire you and we'll pay you this if you can, you know, if you can really prove to us and verify that you can get this stuff done um, right out of the gate, that's what we'll offer you. I, I, I think students might listen up to that because, it's, because as soon as you try and preach to them being educated and in understanding and knowledge, there's too much of this transactional, yeah, but what's it going to get me? And so, yeah, why you know, but I, I, yeah, yeah I think we're, I mean, maybe, so, you know, we've, we've done you know, work at Illinois, at Olin, at other schools on, 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 um, on, on training around listening, on training around noticing, on training around question asking, on what's your purpose, and, 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 and trying to sort of not just do the, uh, the tip of the iceberg, but go underneath what's, what's sort of, and, and, and we've we've done this work with faculty, and it seems to it seems to move the needle. But the cool thing is when we do it with faculty and students together. And you were talking before about community that now you you start to form a community around um, this way of of being and showing up in the world. Um, and I think it 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 changes a lot of the conversations about you know what's important and and it and it shifts from from some of these values around money to, well, okay, what's, you know, uh, in Simon Sinek's, you know, what's my purpose? What's my why? Or, you know, and, and, and uh, to a more intrinsically motivated kind of motivational scheme than, than uh, checking off the box for, uh, for corporations well, and so forth. Well, I, 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 th I think we're in slight disagreement because okay. I, I think, and I'm, and I'm in favor of what you're proposing, but what I'm learning is kind of a soft skills, you know, ninja <laughs> expert, is you got to give people what they want so you have the chance to give them what they need. Yeah. And often what people want is superficial, is near-term, is expediency at the cost of something that's long-lasting. Yeah. But, uh, you know, what I've discovered is uh, if... if uh, and in fact, yeah. um, I, I think what you have to do is give people quick give them little, little quick fixes to 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 get down the road. And I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we're we've just got a little bit of time left, and I want to give you a chance to point people at where they can get your book and find out more about uh, you and the great work you do. Well, thank you. Well, you can find all my books at uh, all major booksellers at Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, independent booksellers. If you go to GoulstonGroup.com, that's my company, G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N Group.com, uh, and click on, there's a tab, Free Stuff. Okay. You give your name and your email. We won't share it. 
But we keep adding some good stuff there. In fact, I put up the slides uh, for the talk I just gave at Harvard Business School Great. on listening, how to listen up and be successful. And there's a bunch okay, of... Okay, well, we'll send them, we'll send them to, the, to that site, Mark. And thanks so much for being with us. You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. Uh, special thanks to Mark Goulston uh, for this fascinating conversation. And uh, learn more at bigbeacon.org. Join us uh, next week, same time, same, same channel for our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.